just past 7 o'clock. It's a Monday night, so you know we're in studio. It's time for Iron Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. Got a really good one on tap for you tonight. Ira, this is the super exciting time of the year. Baseball, just three days away from that getting kicked off. The NFL manages to still stay in the talks no matter what. The NBA is wrapping up and... Kind of a weird uh, weird direction a couple of teams are taking. We'll talk about that on iRun Sports. Plus, of course, we are two rounds into the uh, into the March Madness tournament. I got to tell you, Ira, but, you know, we're going to break all this down in just a second. But to me, with the exception of, you know, maybe the Duke-UCF game, this has been a kind of boring and predictable um, tournament so far. I'm going to take – I take a differing – I've, enjoy, I've enjoyed the tournament. I've been riveted uh, to the TV. There have been games – that have been blowouts. And I agree mm-hmm. that there are some games where, especially on Sunday, where the games and blowouts. But in general, I felt like even in the uh, in the Tennessee-Iowa game, when... when That was a great game, too. 25-point lead, and you think it's it's set, and you almost had the, one of the greatest comebacks. So I, I, not every game was a buzzer beater, and there was a lot of blowouts, but it, I felt like there was enough exciting... There was, ex- not, there was at least one game on that was pretty exciting, pretty close, that would keep your eye to, to watch it. And I was sitting there with uh, two computers... An iPad and a TV <laughs> set. So I had the whole thing set up. I mean, I, I was thinking I'm going to go out to a bar to watch the games. And I was like, I love my setup so much. And so I just kept that the entire time for four days. It's kind of difficult, too, when you can't get the audio you want at the right time. You're, you're at the bar and they might be just be playing one game. And then another game is, you know, in the final 30 seconds, it's like, switch the audio. <laughs> or, or, or somehow they make a mistake and they put on like The Simpsons or whatever, <laughs> which I've, I've, I've been to, to, to bars uh, where they where it's like, oh, it's automatically switches on at 7 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And you're down to the, like the final shot of a game. But I've liked the tournament. I've, I've been excited about it. I, the the Duke UCF game the, 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 was one of the, the um, most was a classic. Yeah, was tremendous uh, to watch. But I've I've enjoyed the tournament a lot. It, it's no, it's, it's it's still been exciting. But you know, both of us had very chalky brackets, and it's really panning out. I'm at the top of my um, you know, at the top of my pool, and it's because. We've talked about on the show, I think, that there's so much talent at the top end that you weren't going to have a lot of 9, 10, 11 seeds sliding past these 1s, 2s, 3s, and 4s that are really that good. Well, la- my bracket, we didn't really get a chance last week to go over my bracket. And and for people, a lot of people ask me my opinion, and I've let a lot of people down. I have to really <laughs> apologize for that. I mean, I mean, I've had some of my friends have said I have to actually write an apology and post <laughs> it and some of those other mea culpas that people say, because we had Mike is a Lino on and Mike was said it's going to be chalky he told you Purdue's good we played Purdue Purdue's awesome but I'm like I like the Belmonts Mm -hmm. I like the Murray States I like the Wofford's and and the thing is I had them going through the Sweet 16 and they didn't and uh, that's where we're going to talk a little about where I have now had a manifesto on what I think (laughs) has happened in college basketball after watching all these games and and where and trying to explain why I was wrong sort of like trying to now appear to be intelligent understand that even though that I'm like behind I'm in this one pool and like there's two dogs that are ahead of me in the pool mm-hmm. so that so <laughs> Riley's dog and like whatever is ahead of me pool and I have I mean there's like 10 year olds and 8 year olds that are ahead of me so I'm admitting <laughs> that I have made mistakes but I still have all my final four teams uh, still left I went with all four number one seeds so that's where I went chalky but on the other I was trying to pick these upsets and it just didn't happen you know I was I was all with you on Belmont too especially after uh, hearing from M- Mike as Alino uh, you know I really liked um, I, I liked them and that was one of my big mistakes there but other than that i've been doing pretty good by going chalk for the most part all right ira it's your show i run sports and you said you kind of have to, have to do a repentance <laughs> to your friends who maybe have been giving you a hard time so we're going to talk about a little bit of why you were wrong and I, and I love that as a segment we don't usually do that but give us your theory on what's happening in this tournament and how it caused you to be incorrect on some of your predictions in 1986 only 16% of the shots in a college basketball for the whole season were three-point shots. It's now 40%. It's crazy. If you're watching, if you watch the Houston Rockets play, but if you watch high school basketball, if you watch college basketball, it seems like teams are just going down shooting threes. And that's all they're doing. And and even if they have the size advantage, it, it, two things, size and athletic advantage, they are choosing just to shoot threes. And I'm looking at all these teams, the Yales, the Woffords, the Belmonts, the Murray States, and I'm saying, if and Liberty... These are great three-pointing basketball, shooting basketball teams. 
they are if you're just if these other teams that have the size advantage and the athleticism advantage if they just want to go down and shoot one team's going to shoot 30 the other's going to shoot 30 i'm going to take pick liberty and belmont yeah. to win those games if that's what the teams were and if you look at the past remember games like when kentucky played and lost and they would just go down and they would be just dominant they have five nba players they'd be playing teams that didn't seem to have anybody that was even a d1 player and they just keep shooting threes and it seems like i'm saying if this is what these division if these big major the major programs are going to do Mm-hmm. Then I thought this. This is the year the Cinderellas were finally going to come up and win some of these games. It, you know what? I, I agree with you on that on that front. And I did think, you know, I, I thought that Murray State was going to roll after John Morant's performance in the first game. Like, okay, this guy can take the game over. And I thought it was going to be that you know the tale of for the mid majors of how this was going to get done. So, what are the things that you know? Certain teams did to get these wins and the predictable wins at that. Well, one thing was that teams stopped. The teams played smart. They didn't shoot a lot of threes. Some did, like Arizona State against Buffalo. Definitely, they have a size and athleticism advantage. Buffalo, Buffalo's very good, but still, Arizona State shot three for 22. And again, some people said, well, they just missed their shots. No, I think when you watch these games, some of these are just bad shots. I mean, when you just go down and shoot a three with a person with a player that is not a really great three-point shooter, that's yeah. not a good shot. <laughs> I mean, case in point, we're going to go to Trey Jones for, for Duke. Trey Jones shot eight three-point shots. There was Zion on the floor. There was R.J. Barrett on the floor. But Trey Jones is not a good three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. And UCF was saying, we would. this is what we want we want trey jones to come down they let him they were they people ran away from him to shoot those shots and again and, and so the thing is but a lot of these teams like oregon played wisconsin now i know wisconsin's not they're the similar type schools but oregon shot seven for 15 on the threes wisconsin was six for 30 that's gross six for 30 and that's it's, it's ridiculous mm-hmm. um another thing that's i've another caught whatever in terms of one of my major points i feel like i'm teaching a college course here is that (laughs) i think that these major schools have learned how to play defense on the threes because now that everybody is shooting threes before when they went to a tournament and they saw these teams shooting 33s they weren't used to it but i think the these major conferences have understood it like for instance we'll talk about yale yale at one point against lsu missed 22 out of 23 threes now yale this was a close game but they missed 22 out of 23 threes because because and LSU was in their face, was making it difficult. It was not like it wasn't like these teams were like, oh, people are going to run down, they're going to throw it inside. Like these major teams realized that teams were going to shoot threes and had great defense to, to protect against that. Then again, another thing, the other one of these caveats or, or principles that I learned, I would call them <laughs> principles, is that it's not just that the major teams decided to throw it into the big guys because some of them it's but they learned how to take got people off the dribble. Mm-hmm. Like in the Duke game, when Duke played South Dakota State, at one point in the game, they're losing the game and they're just shooting threes. But then they realize, wait, I'm just, we're just better than these players. Like they can't guard R.J. Barrett. The person guarding R.J. Barrett could, if they played a game of one-on-one, R.J. Barrett would win like 30 to nothing or 21 mm-hmm. nothing. Like, so R.J. Barrett said, I'm just going to drive. Zion Williams said, I'm just going to drive. So they learned it's not just throwing inside, but it's just taking these people in and, and making them plays. And then I get to the point about points in the paint. Not just dunks, but just points around the basket. You UNC played Iona. UNC was losing that game at some point yeah. in the game, but UNC ended up with 48 points in the paint. 48 Iona 10. And that's what that was. A, that's a key point. And the other one is second chance points. So like if you're not going to shoot well, if you're whatever, at least rebound the ball. You have to. And I think that these these major schools realize that this is important also and were able to understand the rebounding and, and do that. Another key thing, and this is something I saw in this tournament I thought was evident, is that these non-major schools, the non-major schools rely. Their superstar player is so important to their team. As it's much everything. As, <laughs> as much as we say Zion Williams is important to Duke, that they Duke at least has other people who can score. But on these teams, their superstar Everything goes between around those superstars and these other teams, the major schools that play the the I would say mid you call mid majors or Cinderella type schools. What they were able to do was neutralize these superstars. For instance, Liberty has Caleb Hammersley, thirty points against Mississippi State, and they won. Looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Eight against Virginia Tech. Walfers, Fletcher McGee. I mean, against. Um, Seaton Hall, seven threes, 24 points. I was just going crazy screaming about him. But against Kentucky, 0 for 3, 8 points. Mm-hmm. Northern Kentucky's Drew McDonald. He's the Horizon Player of the Year. He's a superstar. Scored average 25 points a game. Against Texas Tech, 5 points. Utah yeah. State's Sam Merrill was the Mountain West Player of the Year, 2 for 11 shooting. I mean, it's just that's what these teams were able to win by saying, we're, we're going to take away the best player on this other team. And really, the thing is that these other players couldn't, they don't have their four 
fourth and fifth. And they sixth probably never seven, have to do it all season. Right. They can't come and they weren't able to do that. And it, then I, I think I, coaching played a lot. I think a lot of these bigger school coaches outcoached the smaller school coaches in that sense, knowing all we have to do is take away one guy from these guys, shut down a few lanes, force them to take bad threes. We're going to win this game. I don't know if they outcoached them. I don't want to say because I think it's small schools. But I would say I would think they just didn't get outcoached. I mean, they all they when you're when you're coaching a uh, uh, Kentucky, you when you're playing a smaller school like like Wofford, you don't. It's you have the talent level, you have athleticism, but Calipari was like, no, we're not going to just play into this game. We're not going to play a stupid game and let you. I think they I think they were just saying we're not going to do the dumb things that cost teams in the past. And I guess that points it to is that I think major teams now are more prepared for Cinderellas. Like they yeah. are aware that. Uh, um, I think they're I think they're aware of what happens and and they've seen the upsets and these teams it's not so much a surprise anymore. It's not like LSU playing. Yeah, like I, I saw more of an intensity. And if they didn't, like when Iona was playing North Carolina, and if they weren't ready for the game when the game started and they were down in that game, they realized pretty quickly they're in a game and they better play better. So I think they <laughs> got their acts together quickly. And uh, and also I think one final point of my principles is that the major schools used their depth better. They were able to, at the end of the game, you saw the minor schools making some mistakes, getting tired because their players had played more. And in and, and some cases, we're using the depth. I think those were all the things that happened. As much as I thought that three-point shot was going to be, we're just going to watch teams shoot 33-pointers both ways. I think these major schools, and, and we have five SEC, five, five ACC schools, four SEC schools, three Big Ten schools, and the other ones. I mean, Houston is not a, a, a minor school. Houston was one no. of the top five teams all year long. Gonzaga was the number one seed, number one <laughs> team in the country. And and the and the other thing is about Oregon. I mean, everyone says, well, they're the Cinderella. They're a 12, they're a 12 seed. Oregon Oregon is no Cinderella. Oregon's coach is one of the highest paid coaches in basketball. I think he's the top like six or seven, getting like six million dollars a year. Their program is one of the most funded in all of sports, of all of college, because of Nike's infusing them hundreds of millions of dollars. Their Oregon was favored to make it to at least the Sweet 16. They were one of the favorites to win the title this year when they lost their star player, Bol Bol, Manute's Bol son. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Oregon is no Cinderella. There are no Cinderella. If UC Irvine would have beat them, they are Cinderella. There are no Cinderellas left. Every one of these teams can win the tournament. Seven fifteen. This is Ira on Sports. It's 95.9, a true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Still to come, going to talk baseball, which starts in just three days. Also, a future Hall of Famer, in my opinion, retires from the NFL. And Ira, there's a rule change being uh, being kicked around that I absolutely hate. So we'll get to that uh, too as well. That's all coming up on Ira on Sports. Okay, Ira, let's go. Let's go through the um, the sides of the bracket. Um, the East was one of the most exciting, in my my opinion. Partly because we got your boys from Duke, uh, and everyone loves to see Zion. Well, it was. I mean, they got on uh, on Sunday. Everything that that CBS wanted was to have them on. I mean, I forget. If, I forget. I forget when. I just don't even remember if it's on True TNT, TBS. <laughs> I'm flat. Everything's on the same thing. I know that uh, Orange Vanilla Coke. I saw that commercial a million times. I I literally. I think the the woman on Orange Vanilla Coke is probably more famous than Zion Williamson <laughs> right now. But Duke plays North Dakota State the first game, and 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 in that one it was North Dakota State was a really bad team. They were 15-15 in a bad conference. They won their conference tournament, won their playing game, and Duke was only leading them at the half. 31-27. But again, Duke has that gear. And I, I would consider it a runner. They can run a six-minute mile. They, nobody else can run even like a seven-minute mile. Mm-hmm. And when Duke gets that gear and they get some, a school like North Dakota State, it's going to happen. There was a great play in that game. Zion stole the ball, was like f- falling down on the court, got the ball, twisted around. It was amazing. He out he outran a 5'11", 190 guard for South Dakota State to get the ball. It was truly one of his best plays. It was very ex- I love that play. Um, but that's one thing about that game, and I think all the tournament in general, the floors were very slippery. I saw Zion Williamson slip might be a 20 times, mm-hmm. it seemed like. and But in every game it was. And, and people have to understand, this is a new floor. They don't use the floor that's there. They actually make new floors for this gym. And they're all new. And you have the uh, lettering that says March Madness on there. And it's, they're not played in. I mean, it, it's not a floor that's broken in. Mm-hmm. And that's why you see all these players. I mean, at one point, I'm like, it's the shoes. But another thing, it was like, it's just the floors. And it was it was really, it made some of these games very sloppy. As, and it's scary, too, because you don't want to see all these star players mm-hmm. falling down all over no, the place. No, of course not. Um the the next uh, next game up that was interesting was UCF. Um, they really beat the pants off VCU, and then we got to see you know what was going to be the the matchup coming up, which was Duke and UCF, which turned into a great game. Yeah, I mean the 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 storyline of Duke UCF is tremendous. Johnny Dawkins was Coach K's uh, first 
great, as he said, my first great player. It took they never won a national championship, but with Allery and Jay Billis, you see on TV, they went to the final four. Um, Johnny Dawkins, the second leading Duke scorer of all time, he was a long term assistant at Duke for a dozen years, and his son Andre Dawkins grew up with the Duke program. So the star <laughs> of Central Florida, Andre Dawkins, is grew up going to Cameron Under Stadium, grew up uh, hanging around Duke's campus, Coach Kane's house, everything. <laughs> so you really had the familiarity. Then you throw in Zion. Then you throw in Taco Fall, who is one of the most exciting players to watch being 7'6". As I like the stat they said on TV. He's one of the top, not 40 tallest players in whatever. He's one of the top 40 people on earth. I mean, so we have mm. one of the... T- who actually... I love how he plays. He is very athletic. He's only been He's playing fairly for, athletic for a big kid for four years. I mean, this is someone who I could see five years from now if he stays healthy. Could be just a dog. He's just growing. He just learned. He used to play soccer. Now I don't know how a seven six guy would play soccer, but it was it was just an exciting. He doesn't absolute. lose many headers. <laughs> that would be the way. But it was like even from the start of the game when Taco went against Zion for the tip. I mean, I was like I was crashing the television saying, like I want to see who wins that tip. And Taco won it. <laughs> like it was was Zion going to be able to out jump a seven six? But then. And Zion hit a three. Everyone says Zion can't shoot three. He had three threes in the game. And then um, Zion commits that one foul in that game yeah. where he ran over one of the UCF players and knocked him like through the table. <laughs> if you're going to commit a foul, I thought he knocked him out of the building. And um, But then there was that one play. Everybody's wondering. He goes, you know, Taco goes, I'm not going to let Zion dunk on me. Zion goes up for a dunk and Taco blocks it. And that was, that was pretty cool. But Andre Dawkins was a story for UCF. Draining threes, playing mm-hmm. great. I mean, just a superstar all over the place. It was it was absolutely amazing. And and you know one of the points of Duke was trying to get Taco in foul trouble. And I thought a couple of his fouls were bad were bad calls. Like the one time he went up for a shot, then he reached back. It seems like they would just I, they gave him one at the end of the game when he was kind of thinking to get his fourth foul. There was a push off on right. Zion definitely that went the other way. Yeah. So I think they were they under, they were trying to do makeup calls on him. Uh, Duke putting gold wire in the game. They went small. Actually, when you say they went small with gold wire in the game, I thought he played great. Um, but at, it was thirty four thirty four. Duke goes an 8-0 run at the end of the first half, goes up 44-36. So I'm thinking, okay, Duke is now in charge. They're up by eight. But then um, USCF got the first seven points the second half. Mm-hmm. And then Reddish gets four fouls. And then Zion drives again on Taco and he blocks him. And at one point in the second half, Duke was shooting three of 18, which is ridiculous, of course. And then at 57-57, Duke got a break. Zion, uh, Taco gets four fouls. I mean, Taco was in and out yeah. as he played. So he gets his fourth foul. And then UCF, but then UCF um, got, went on an 11-2 run. Uh, and then there was this one key play where Dawkins drew a charge on Zion. So suddenly, mm. wow, this is really bad. And then that one play at the end where there was, whether the ball hit the rim or not hit the rim, and that was like, I mean, Duke was getting nervous at that point. Yeah, they were. And then and that delay, how many angles did they look at that? And finally they said it didn't count. Now, and then they, they went up four on that play with 221 to go. And then the key, that was the key point because that net, suddenly UCF with two minutes to go goes up four. Duke comes down, like, give the ball to Zion, give the ball to R.J. Barrett, like, just Trey Jones. UCF just said, no, Trey Jones, you just go take a three-point shot from the corner. So he takes the three-point shot from the corner. He's out of position. He misses it, of course, because he's one for eight. <laughs> and then they then UCF has a chance to take the lead up six. They run a fast break, a 2-1 fast break. They throw to Dawkins, and he misses a dunk. He didn't really make that. He didn't mm-hmm. even catch the ball for it. But they make that shot. Then with, like, a minute 40. It's a different th- game. They're up six points. Because Reddish goes down and makes a three. But then what's funny, Duke gets fouled. And then uh, uh, it was 76-73. And Delaria uh, misses two foul shots. So they're like, this is crazy. And then at uh, and then at 76, and then t- then they make two foul shots. They're up 76-73 uh, with like 20 seconds to go. And then you're getting nervous. Like, you're wait, wait, Duke is down three. Now yeah. Duke has to maybe <laughs> make a three-point shot. Zion goes, and this is like one of the greatest. If they win the title, I mean, every place, Zion drives in. And makes the basket and gets fouled by Taco and fouls him out of the mm-hmm. game, which was key because once he gets fouled out of the game, it's now 76-75 and um, he gets 76-75 and then he's going to shoot a, the, the foul shot mm-hmm. and he misses, the, he misses the foul shot. But because Taco's out of the game, R.J. Barrett can get yeah. the offensive rebound, puts it up. And you know what that play reminded me of? Remember J.R. Smith? NBA Finals last year. I know this was a year ago when he got the offensive rebound on the missed foul shot and then he dribbled it out yeah. because he didn't know what the score was. R.J. Barrett knew what the score was. <laughs> R.J. Barrett knew what he had to do and he put it back up. 
And then um, and then Central Florida runs their final play. Now they're down one. B.J. Taylor makes a great drive, on, and he lays the ball up. It just goes off the rim. Just then, missed. Just missed. And then Andre Dawkins has the offensive rebound. And I, I don't know if I'm UCF, I'm more upset about the B.J. Taylor miss or the Andre Dawkins because Zion sort of like bailed out. Mm. And then Andre Dawkins is like an inch from the basket, put tips it up there, and that ball, it, it, to me, it was down. Like I thought it was, it was in. I thought both were going. I could not believe. Like it's like Dukes, the, the magicians, pushed it out. I don't know. How did it go in? But um, so he missed. Dawkins and, and, and Duke ended up winning by one. Amazing victory. Dawkins ended up 12 for 17, 5 for 7 from threes, 32 points. Taco had 15 points, 6 rebounds, 3 blocks. Uh, B.J. Taylor uh, was 2 for 10, but he had 15 points. Um, Zion was Zion's was 12 for 24 for um, 32 points. Amazing game. And R.J. Barrett had 31. Uh, and Trey Jones was terrible. But every. I've followed Duke my whole my whole life, mm-hmm. and they've it's like they won national titles winning games. Like remember the Kentucky game? Remember all the shots that Leitner had over Connecticut? Yep. I mean, they've had these type of games where they win on these lucky shots. And Coach K admitted he goes, "Look, <laughs> I've been lucky, and I'd rather be lucky. And sometimes I've been unlucky, but I like being lucky more." It's, yeah, no, he did say after the game the basketball gods were, were smiling on us today. You know, with some of those misses. But I think it was really it was that's why that game. When people think about this tournament, and not, they don't need every single game in the first round. And the second round's being perfect. But I think when people are going to think back at this tournament, they're going to think about that game. The fact that a 7 6 player, they're going to think about Zion. These guys are going to be playing in the pros. I would assume they're going to be stars on uh, forever. Andre Dawkins could, could play in the NBA too, I mean, the way he's playing. Uh, but I think that's what, I think that's the game. That is definitely the game that people, that and the Murray State game, which we're going to get to with yeah. the games of the, of the week. It's 724, Iron Sports, 959, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's talk about Virginia Tech for a little bit um, because they, were looking pretty uh, pretty impressive to, to start it off too. Blows out they blew out St. Louis. Um, and uh, remember Virginia Tech it, just played Duke. They're another ACC team. Mm. So and they beat Duke at the end of the year without Zion. But they they blew out they blew out St. Louis. wasn't even close. Then Liberty we got their little upset. So this is what I, I like Liberty. They, Liberty came that Caleb Hammer says had thirty points. They beat Mississippi State. Yeah. And that's one of the things was I was saying is that I think some of these these major teams that were not top of their conferences were a little weaker. Didn't deserve to get in. The Oklahoma's whatever, but Mississippi State was one of those teams that probably just didn't totally underperform. So Liberty wins that game. Mm-hmm. Then Virginia Tech plays plays Liberty, and I'm wait. I'm looking. That's where I thought Liberty was going to win, but Virginia Tech was. Uh, uh, um, you know, Liberty got off to a good start. They made seven three pointers, but uh, but 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 you know, and they actually led in the second half by five points. But then they missed 11 out of 12 shots. Hammersley wasn't able to do anything well. And Blackshear for Virginia Tech is great. And the weird thing about Virginia Tech and the scary thing for Duke is that Justin Robinson has been one of their star players the last three years. He's been hurt the last uh, dozen games. And he came with a foot injury. He's a school's all-time leading assist player. He came back against the uh, against St. Louis, and then he came back against Liberty and played. Played okay, not great. But he's someone who by next week should be full, be starting. And, 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 I'm, and I'm concerned about that because that could be uh, – uh, a, a problem for Duke going into it. But I still think Duke's going to beat Virginia Tech, but that's going to be, but again, it's going to be a great game. And Virginia Tech, has said, beat Duke without Zion at Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. They know how to play him. If Robinson plays well at point, I mean, there's a lot of people now seeing how weak Duke was. They're like, now the formula is to beat Duke. Virginia Tech, they're, I, don't, I don't see if the lines have been made out yet, but I think they're probably like a four-point underdog. They're not like a 12 or 13-point yeah. underdog. So clearly Virginia Tech uh, could, could beat them. Speaking about potentially getting beat, I got to think LSU is feeling, or maybe I'm sure they're not feeling it, but you know, we on the outside are thinking that LSU is definitely going to be vulnerable, you know, here. Well, I thought, I thought that's why I picked up LSU, Yale to beat them. LSU, as everyone knows, is this great team all year, but their coach was caught on tape, uh, really saying we're bribing a player. We're going to, and why why this happened was complaining he was paying the wrong player, whatever. And, and then they Will Wade, who is a very successful coach for them, very popular on the team, and and he had to step down or didn't mm-hmm. step down; he was suspended. And the assistant that they brought in just was was not the fiery guy that Will Wade was. And so people thought, like I thought, that, that LSU was going to struggle. And against Yale, they didn't look good. I mean, I said the one point Yale missed 21 of 22 threes. They should end up shooting eight for 35. But LSU didn't play that well. They were four for 17 from threes. But they held on to they, they held on to win that game. And then uh, and then they went and played Maryland. I mean, then Belmont that the Belmont Maryland game was th- was another thriller. That was an 11 was one, 11 yeah. six game. And one thing about it, Dylan Windler for Belmont. That's another starting player. Now he played great and they they still lost the game. But at the end of the game, they were, they were down 78 77. They didn't call a timeout. They're trying to run that play for. Dylan 
Dillon to take a shot to win the game, they don't get it. But I, Belmont had that game. They made that shot. But then LSU goes against Maryland, and again, that was it was a tremendous game, uh, 69-67. But uh, LSU held up Skylar Mays shooting threes. LSU scored outscored Maryland in the paint. And uh, LSU is a team this year. I saw this great stat. It, this points games decided by six points. They were thirteen and five, so one of the best records in the country mm-hmm. from close point close games, and they held on to win. But I still think now they're going to be playing now that the one on the bottom of the other team in the East is Michigan State. Yeah, and um, I, I mean Cassius Winston is just a star for Michigan State. He's he played great all year. Uh, they beat Bradley the first game, and then uh, and then the the other game in that region, Minnesota Louisville, and that was an exciting game to watch because remember Rick Pitino was the coach at Louisville, got fired two years ago. Mm-hmm. He had been the coach there for for uh, for years and for sixteen years. Fired in 2017, and his son coaches Minnesota, and so he's had, and he has this huge lawsuit against Louisville also. So it's sort of weird that it's like Louisville, Minnesota's son, <laughs> and the son actually redeemed his father by winning the game, and and that was exciting. Another stat from that Minnesota Louisville game: Minnesota had zero points from the bench. The first team to do that in seven years and actually win That's an NCAA crazy. tournament game, no points at all. But in the uh, and it was weird. It was the first meeting. This is funny. The first meeting a Big Ten team since 2000 in the NCAA tournament. So, because Michigan State had to play Minnesota, there were so many teams getting these tournaments mm. that it used to be that you could never play someone, you could not play someone until like the Elite Eight. And now teams are playing like earlier in the second round. Michigan State played Minnesota, and it really wasn't that close of a game. And they won by twenty. Um, they got up by twenty points in the first fourteen minutes and just ran. And, and Minnesota was hurt. I mean, this guy Jordan Murphy, who's their big star, the guy with the crazy hair, he was hurt most of the game. Uh, didn't play, uh, but it was Michigan State looked good. I mean, if you looked at Michigan State, Bradley. Was Win, Michigan State's Minnesota win, and then they're playing LSU. I think Michigan State's going to beat them. As I'm going, doing my predictions as we're going through this, I think Michigan State beats LSU, and I think Duke beats Michigan State. But everybody, if you're people who say, I don't think Virginia Tech's going to beat Duke, if you're a Duke hater, you really think Michigan State because of their Tom Izzo and their tournament pedigree, everything they know. I think that's why people like Michigan State against Duke. I agree with you wholeheartedly that Michigan State is going to win um, versus LSU, but then I don't know about Duke. We'll see. Tom Izzo is the guy to do it if it's anybody. Well, it's so funny. Izzo got criticized because they showed it was probably the weirdest contrary he's ever seen. He's shown yelling at a player during yeah. a game, and people thought that's crazy. He didn't touch the player, didn't hit the player. He was yelling at the player. Anybody who watches sports, see, people yell at everybody all the time. I, I didn't understand why. Like, I, I thought there was something that he might have hit. He didn't, but Tom Izzo yells at players. I mean, it's not like he didn't, it's like if you mm-hmm. say Bobby Knights didn't yell. I mean, I mean <laughs> but there are coaches that are yellers. Izzo's a yeller, and they ask the player after the game, he goes, he yells at me at practice all the time, too. Like, it's not a big deal. So I think the national media he wasn't made, hustling too and he knew it yeah I mean it was like it was running down on the court he was just loafing and I just thought that was the weirdest story that I've ever seen because if you watch the entire tournament players were yelling at players all day long no it, it, they were overblowing it and they needed a story at that point um, let's move on to the west Ira I gotta tell you I'm always you know we talk about Gonzaga a fair amount on this show because they didn't have much to do down the stretch but this team looks to me every bit of a one seed um, Gonzaga blows out. Well, they what they did is that they first of all they blow out FDU um, early. They don't even have a close game. Like they're the sixteen ones. Whereas Duke had a little trouble. Yeah. Virginia had a little trouble. North Carolina was struggling with Iona. They just said we're just going to blow them out, and we're like by a billion <laughs> points. And um, and they went after a really tough team, Baylor. When Baylor beat Syracuse, now Syracuse. I mean, Frank Howard, their star, their their guard didn't play. So it's like, you know, it's weird. Some of these teams get into tournament and then they say, oh, by the way, our good players aren't going to play. Mm-hmm. And that that's sort of unfair. And But then when they played against a, a very good Baylor team, they went up 16 points. This is Brandon Clark. Now, he's a transfer from San Jose State. Everyone talks about Hushimura, who's another star. They're almost similar players, like 6'8", mm. 6'9", uh, both projected to be top 10, 12 players in the draft. And uh, But Clark had a 15 out of 18 shooting, 36 points, 8 rebounds, 5 blocks. Uh, and they and they really held Baylor from the three. Baylor only shot four for 21 from the threes. And uh, it was it was, it was was really, I think, Gonzaga, people who have doubts about Gonzaga, this was good. They, they got the two wins they needed now to play in the next as coach k used to say there's it's like it's separate tournaments the first round is one tournament now we're going to the next tournament it's not like one big tournament um let, let's move on here to florida state who i mean i'm happy to see a florida team advancing but i really was rooting for john rant and murray state we, we didn't get that in the second game 
Well, it's interesting. Gonzaga last lost year to Florida State in the Sweet 16. I think they win. I think Gonzaga does win this year uh, against them. But Florida State played Vermont in the first round. Didn't look good. Terrence Mann had a good game. It was a 13 versus 4. They won 76 49. But then probably the game. I mean, there's, as I said, the second or third game I'm going to remember was John Moran, who I've seen John Moran highlights. I haven't mm. watched a full Murray State game. And. I mean, his backstory is so neat. I mean, he was like 13 years old on Zion Williamson's team in South Carolina on this AU team. And there's a picture of that Zion Williamson and John Morant, who might go one and two, were on this AU team. Mm. But back then, Zion wasn't that big as like he is big now. Like he was like 6'3". And, and then, so the so John Morant is an AU player. He's uh, 17 years old. And they're going to this, they're having a camp for AU players. And there's, the main players are playing in a main gym. This is South Carolina. And... John Morant is like, if the people aren't that good, but showed up at the camp, they say, you play three on three in these back gyms. So he's playing three on three basketball, whereas all the other players on the main court, well, the Murray State coach, the assistant coach is hungry. He's hung, he wants to get some food. So he goes and walks and looks for the concession stand. As he's looking for the concession stand, he looks at the three and three game. He sees this John Moran guy playing. They didn't even know who he was and says, who's this guy dominating? And within like a, a few hours, he was given it. He calls the head coach, whatever, and they get, they get him a scholarship mm-hmm. to the school. And then at four Great other scouting. schools. Yeah, but no one. But this is a guy that could have gone to Clemson, could have gone to South Carolina. He was right under. He was right there. And he would have gone anywhere. It was amazing. And last year he was great, but he was in that against Marquette. So everyone's talking about him against Marcus Howard, who's a good Marquette guard. But it's the first he had he had 17 points, 16 assists, 11 rebounds, five for nine from threes. The last person to have a triple double was uh, Draymond Green, who had it nine, who had it in 2012 and 2011. I was shocked. There's only been nine triple doubles in, since 1984. I mean, wow. and look at these other players who've had it besides Draymond Green, Dwayne Wade, Marquette, Shaq. Yeah. I mean, Shaq. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It must be on blocks. But it was it was tremendous. He if you but I can talk about the game and talk about stats but just how his court presence how he done passed and just did everything it was just amazing mm-hmm. I, it was I, tremendous like you see him dominating other at the smaller conferences and how he played in those games but to play against a team like Marquette uh, the Big East a uh, Big East a, a very good Big East team and just just they couldn't and no was no answer to him and John Morant probably uh, positioned himself to be either the number two or number three player taken in the draft uh, just a, a great performance and his game translates perfect to the NBA I mean, he is a little shorter than like Magic Johnson. He's like Magic Johnson with a jump shot. He has that flair, the no-look passes. Uh, just great. And he shoots the outside and shoots the threes. So that was great. But when they win, when Florida State played Murray State, I could not wait for that game. But what a blowout. 90-62. Morant played well. He had 28 points. But it was just, he was struggling. They were just, I mean, they said it was just a difficult game. He shot eight for 21. He started the game out hitting those threes. But the rebounding mortgage, he had five threes. I mean, so it was just, I mean, I, at first they started the game and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a huge upset. I had Murray State going through, going forward. But they were yeah, up 18-14. But after that, it was just, it was painful to watch the rest of the game and the, and uh, Florida State. But Florida State looked great. I mean, they played smart. This is the Florida State. There's a smart Florida State team and uh, now they're going to play Gonzaga which is a rematch of last year I mean it's amazing these two teams uh, Leonard, Leonard Hamilton and Mark Few these good coaches now you're starting to see boy, this, some of these guys are tournament coaches because they're now they're back in the in the Sweet 16 like they were last year um, l- let's keep getting that well, I was very uh, very upset when Ja didn't move on um, alright let's talk about Texas Tech and, and maybe talk about Buffalo a little bit two teams that that you know were pretty surprising to me well Buffalo, first of all, beats Arizona State. The storyline of that game was that Arizona State's coach, Bobby Hurley, one of the great, of course, Duke point guards of all time, mm-hmm. he used to coach Buffalo. And he left, and now Nate Oates is coaching at Buffalo. And... Uh, but Buffalo just totally dominated Arizona State. It wasn't even, it was, again, 91-74. It wasn't even close. Uh, then Texas Tech destroys Northern Kentucky, 72-57. But what, uh, what, what happened is that, is that uh, but Texas Tech was just, just a far better team uh, than Buffalo. I mean, Jarrett Culver is tremendous. I mean, people should watch Jared Culver. He's another, like, one of these players where you got to watch. Um, 29 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists. Um, he is just a fun player to watch. He's a great guard, great shooter. And Texas Tech with Chris Beard. Uh, Chris Beard's an interesting story. He was... He took the job at UNLV to be the head coach at UNLV. Lasted, he's the one who like lasted like five days, and the Texas Tech job opened up, so he quit. So he's like the coach <laughs> of UNLV for like five days, and then he left. But he certainly has turned Texas Tech's program around, and Texas Tech looks like like they're for real, and uh, they'll be playing Michigan. I like 
Texas Tech over Michigan. So I think Gonzaga, Texas Tech beats Michigan, and then Gonzaga beats Texas Tech. But uh, that I totally messed up that. This is the one where I thought definitely Nevada was going to beat Florida. And um, Florida last year, looked pretty good in that well, one game. Nevada, <laughs> Nevada made it to the Sweet 16 last year, and they had they brought everybody back, all their star, all the, Cal, the the two Martin brothers, and they looked awful against Florida. I mean, it was unbelievable. At the end of the game, Florida played that one three one zone, and Nevada couldn't even just get the ball. Like they was like almost like a hockey team can't even getting into like a to to take a shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it, Florida did tremendous. It was a great win for Florida. Um, I mean, they were they were up fifty one thirty three with fourteen minutes to go. Nevada had eighteen four run at the end of the game. Uh, but it's like Nevada played terrible and Florida wins and Michigan blows up Montana. But then when Michigan played Florida, Michigan looked really, I mean, this is again, John Beeline's now getting credit for being a really good coach. It was a, it was a, they won by 15 over Florida. Uh, Jordan Poole had 19 points. Uh, Florida shot terrible from the threes. Um, but uh, Michigan looks real. Michigan's only three losses since February have been to Michigan State. <laughs> so that's the only ones they lose to. But I do think Texas Tech beats Michigan State and Gonzaga beats Michigan. So that gives you that Gonzaga will get next week we'll have the final four but it would be um, it would be Duke Gonzaga in that side the east plays the west so it would be Duke Gonzaga 738 it's Iron Sports this is 95.9 the true oldies channel I'm Mike Balsamo still football and baseball to get to a lot going on uh, with them plus NBA Ira we got to start flying here let's talk about the south division um you, Louisville that's a team that that you felt pretty good about um tell us about Virginia though in that first game well, the, the, this region will be in Louisville, yeah. right? <laughs> but um, Virginia, they go they go up and they beat the, Virginia last year. The why this was an important game was they lost to UMBC last year in the first round. It was one mm. of the first time, the first time ever, sixteen beat a one. And uh, but and they had trouble against Gardner Webb. Like I mean, they're having trouble. They're down in the game. Gardner Webb was up 30-16 with six minutes left. But suddenly DeAndre Hunter, who's a star of Virginia, you mm. watch Virginia, watch DeAndre Hunter. He took the game over. He missed the tournament last year, but took this game over and won. And then Oklahoma up. Upset Ole Miss. I mean, not upset. There was an eight. It was an eight nine game. But I was shocked at Oklahoma because Oklahoma really was not. They were seven eleven in conference, but they destroyed Ole Miss. I mean, Mississippi, Mississippi State. Where it was not a good, a good weekend for Mississippi teams because they they lost. Uh, but then when Virginia played Oklahoma, it was finally an easy win. It was like they were even though. They didn't play that great. They won by twelve. They needed to have a win like they, that. It was it was a, it was one of those coasting type wins. So Virginia is now into the Sweet Sixteen, and then they're going to play uh, Oregon, and that was the game. I, people might have said they're tired of basketball last night. We're going to watch the final one, but Oregon beat Wisconsin. We talked about that game, which was amazing. And then uh, in terms of just blowing out a good Wisconsin team, which, uh, which, which they, made their, they were a five seed, Oregon was a 12. And then K-State played UC Irvine. And a lot of my friends were saying, watch out for UC Irvine. And I'm like, no, I mean, they play like all, <laughs> it's like, if you look at their schedule, it's like Cal, Break, Bakerfield, Cal, they're playing all the other Cal schools. It's like their own little Cal, mm. like how good they possibly can be. But Max Hazard is a really good player. And K-State was not ready. They were missing one of their best players, Dean, uh, um, uh, Dean Wade and uh, it was very exciting in terms of how they ended up winning the game and K-State just couldn't I mean it was like it was that was one of the exciting games of the tournament but then Oregon plays UC Irvine and this was the chance for UC Irvine to be a the Cinderella team but Oregon wins that game so Oregon ends up playing Virginia I think and again I like Virginia over Oregon I think Virginia still this is the Virginia team that we've known for the last two three years and they're playing great and I think they're still better but it's it Look, Oregon's a 12 seed. Oregon can win the tournament. There's I, I, Oregon has Oregon is before the year started. They were one of the favorites. They lose their star player, but uh, they shut down Ethan Happel, Wisconsin, who was one of the best players in the Big Ten. Scored 14 points. Uh, it, it, to me, Oregon is definitely a threat uh, to, to to win. All these teams are. And Virginia seems to be the most flawed one seed, so it should be a good match. Exactly. And then at the bottom of the bracket, uh, Purdue beats ODU, and uh, and then and uh, and then Villanova beat St. Mary's. And I, I like Villanova. I mean, Villanova's won two of the last three titles. We're familiar with yeah, like Jay Villanova Wright. Too. If you watch the commercials, Jay Wright, besides the uh, vanilla Coke uh, woman, <laughs> it was Jay Wright talking about Lowe's. I mean, I don't understand how being a college basketball coach makes you so intelligent about Lowe's products, but he was pushing that. But um, it was, un- Villanova, that game was a disaster. It was the worst tourney loss by Nova ever. The worst loss by defending champions since Loyola Marymount beat Michigan in 1990. Purdue was up 
19. Uh, Nova was out rebounded 43 uh, Carson Edwards uh, from Michigan scored 42 points on Villanova. I mean, everything that Villanova's prided on that we've seen them years and do, smart shots, smart playing. Oh my gosh, they were terrible. You fell they apart. Were, they were awful. So that 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 was uh, one of the worst choices in my bracket. Right. <laughs> taking I mean, them through. No, and, and I and I think that that I, I think that that was in terms of. Uh, uh, when Mike said, look, Mike is, they played Purdue this year. And he said, they are really a good basketball team. They're excellent. And then in the bottom, Purdue will play Tennessee and, uh, Tennessee uh, had some struggles too, even, even in their way. The Colgate game wasn't that good. And then the Cincinnati game was uh, that I would beat Cincinnati, uh, which Cincinnati is unbelievable. They have not, they have, uh, uh, lost seven straight years in the first round, even when they've been a higher seed. They blew a 22-point lead last year in Nevada. They led 36-21 at the half. But they just at the end of the game, they were taking terrible shots. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan Bohannon for Iowa took that game over. And uh, But I thought when Tennessee plays Iowa, then I, I was at the baseball game on Sunday. So I'm at the baseball game. I'm like, okay, it's good. I'm following on my iPad. 25 points. I'll turn it down. And then <laughs> Iowa almost blows. I mean, Tennessee almost blows a 25-point lead. Crazy. Then, and they go in. And then it's, the weird thing about the game was Admiral Schofield, I love the name, get, he gets four fouls take, and he's out of the game. And then he tells the coach, I don't want to be back in the game for Tennessee. So he doesn't play overtime, doesn't play the last few minutes of the game. Now, Grant Williams in overtime took it over for Tennessee and he had two steals and shot grade. But I thought that was really weird. He's like, look, I thought it was better the other players get in. But Kyle st- Alexander, I think, was the guy he told to leave Right, in. but yeah. if you're the star of the team, don't you want to be in the it game? It made no sense to and me. And then the coach is like, okay, like if you're the coach, I mean, Rick Barnes, and everyone's happy, but I just don't know if that pretends to like going forward is that's going to be could you imagine how scrutinized they both would have been had they lost that game oh my god it would have been you know it you, you when you're a coach you got to make coaching decisions and i mean if the kid's injured it's one thing but they said after the game it was because he felt like he was going to foul out he, he wasn't going to play his defense because he didn't want to foul out that's it, it, it doesn't make sense i mean talk about and, talk, so do you take yourself out now <laughs> yeah i mean i just I, I mean if he was just an average player he was the star of the team he scored nine, 17 points in the first half and he was also having a great game uh purdue plays i think that's why i think purdue beats tennessee and then i think virginia beats purdue so i think that's why i think you got virginia on that side so we've gone through three brackets duke and zaga virginia but i think purdue beats tennessee for the reason is that i cannot believe that the star player in tennessee <laughs> took himself out of the game i'll disagree with you i had my vols uh, winning that one but we'll see uh let's talk about the midwest North Carolina, they were probably the best-looking one seed, and they still had a little bit of struggles as well. They're on now. This is what's scary about North Carolina. We've seen them play all year. They've been in the marquee games. Of course, they're losing Diona 38-33, but then they blow them out the rest of the yeah. game. But suddenly, they have. We all know about all their star players and, and Luke May and Kobe White, who's the one of the best freshmen and want to be one of the top five draft choices. Their point guard, but Nassar Little, who was this top recruit who really averaged ten points a game, mm-hmm. averaged twenty points in this tournament. So he's had two great games back to back, only playing nineteen minutes. If he can provide that energy, there's another star player on their team. And uh, and Washington as Washington beats Utah State, uh, and then UNC just blew out Washington. I mean, it was like forty one thirty three, and then but Kobe White is a Cam Johnson, Luke May. Uh, I just I just I'm scared. UNC looks good. You're right. They are the they are the team, the one seed, even more than Gonzaga, that looks very yeah. impressive and ready to roll. Um, what else from uh, from this side of the bracket here? You well, I, your eye. well, they're going to play. Well, then UNC. Then they're going to this team. They're going to play in Kansas City, and then Auburn. First of all, Auburn plays New Mexico State. Probably the third or fourth best game of the date. Auburn is up with twelve with sixteen minutes to go against New Mexico State. Of course, I picked New Mexico State, so then I was right there with <laughs> You're all excited. Yeah. So it was like, but then Auburn makes two free throws to go up 75-72 with fifteen seconds to go. They foul on purpose. They make and New Mexico makes a shot, and then um, and then they make a long. It was amazing how they kid it. They made a long three, and uh, and then at the end of the game, it was. Uh, he this guy drove. New Mexico State had a chance to tie the game. They're driving down to lay the ball up, and he, instead of tying the game, Harris, their point guard, throws it back to, to, to Terrell Brown for a three. But all he could do was lay the ball up. Mm-hmm. Terrell Brown is fouled, <laughs> shooting the three, and he's, a, and he's a fairly good foul shooter. He misses one, makes one, and then misses one, and then they go out of bounds. They get the ball again. They inbound the ball with a chance. They're down two, and they're down one, and they have a chance to win, and the guy misses a shot. So they clearly had a chance to win that mm-hmm. game, but Auburn survived. But it's one of these things like that they survived, but then they went on, and then Kansas killed Northeastern. But then they play Kansas, who's this great, great team, and they blow them out by yeah. 14 points. It was like the Virginia win, their second game. Like you needed 
a statement win. I mean, that Auburn, Bryce Brown, 25 points. He has seven, made seven for 11 threes. They play at such speed. It's Auburn. It gets the ball up. They shoot threes. They are Bruce Pearl has all that excitement. You see the Charles Barkley because everyone's all excited. And the whole big thing on TV is that you see Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith, North Carolina and Auburn. And that game... I'm telling you something. That's going to be a 100-point game. I mean, it's <laughs> Auburn scored 89 against Kansas. UNC scores all theirs 80. They're, this is going to be 100 to 100. This is going to be one of the most exciting basketball games you could imagine, North Carolina-Auburn. I think North Carolina wins, but it's going to be one of the most exciting games you possibly can have. Uh, let's talk about Houston because they had two very convincing wins as well. Yeah, I mean, they beat Georgia State by, by 20. Um, Corey Davis is great. Anybody who hasn't seen Houston play this year, they play in the Conference USA. Remember we had Coach Dunphy on the show? Yeah. Coach Dunphy said... He watched UCF play Houston and never saw two teams play as hard in his life. And and that's what that's how Houston plays. They they play hard. They shoot well. Houston has that track. They used to be five slim at gym in nineteen eighty four with Elijah Wan Drexler. They haven't been the Sweet Sixteen in thirty five years. But uh, and they were bad, like even like four years ago. But they You're have not done even a tournament team. Yeah, recently. now they're now they're tremendous. And then Ohio State beats Iowa State. Um, and uh, in, in in the other game, but Houston then blows out Ohio State. Wasn't even wasn't close. Thirty nine thirty one. Um, they. I guess Ohio State, one of those principals I said earlier, Caleb Wesson, who's their star big guy, mm-hmm. he's like the size of Zion. I mean, he was just shooting three-point. He had seven field goals attempts, six of them were three-pointers and five turnovers. For your star to shoot like that, um, it was a bad loss. So Houston's in that side. And then the other team is Kentucky. And uh, Kentucky played, you know, they they really, they, they beat Abilene Christian by by 30 and then <laughs> they but then they played the Wofford team and that was that Wofford win I, I, I talked about earlier overseas and hall was tremendous that was more like the Murray State Marquette win or M- Murray State Marquette win it was Fletcher McGee tremendous but when you when Kentucky played Wofford they were able to stop Fletcher McGee they're just firing up threes and winning that game and it was it's a good win for Kentucky so now Kentucky is set is set to to, uh, to play Houston uh, I gotta I, tell you I was rooting hard for Wofford well, I was really hard for them too, but I like I like Houston to beat Kentucky. I think I think Houston. I agree. I think Houston beats Kentucky, and I and then I, again the number one seed. I think North Carolina beats Houston. So I get all number four number one seeds in there. But the one thing is coming up this weekend. There's going to be like uh, there will be four games on Thursday, four games on Friday, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. You have twelve games of really should be great basketball games, and that North Carolina Auburn game. Oh. I mean, that just could be tremendous. And Duke, Michigan State's going to be. I mean, it's going to be a Duke, really any, good any one these, too. Every one of these games has these stars, has these performers. Uh, I've loved it. I can't wait to talk about it next week. I am very excited for it as well. This is Iron Sports. It's 95.9, the true oldies channel. It's 749. I'm Mike Balsamo. Um, NBA, Ira, we're really down to the nitty-gritty here. The West is pretty much locked up, but the East still has some shifting that can happen, and big games coming up for our Miami Heat. My, well, Miami, the Miami Heat this week, um, they are – at seven, they're back by 18 and a half. Uh, Magic or night. Everything is almost set in the playoffs. I mean, the West is done. I mean, everybody's in who's mm-hmm. supposed to be in. It's very weird that the Gold State's one with Denver tied. Houston is three. Portland's four. And then Clippers, Thunder, Jazz, and Spurs are all the same record. But in. Uh, it doesn't really matter so much because it you're, the, with, with how, how they uh, pan out. Milwaukee, Toronto, and the Sixers will be one, two, three. Celtics are, Celtics are 12 back. They're playing terrible. They've lost last four in a row, but they don't care. They're like, we don't care where we are. We don't care what we do. We're just going to win. We're going to be one of the favorites to win over any. So we think we're going to, they're not concerned. But the Heat are trying to get in because Heat still think they can possibly win. So they're trying. But the Heat have played very well. They beat Oklahoma City on Monday without Westbrook. They beat the Spurs on Wednesday. Friday, they lost. They had one in years right. <laughs> Friday Friday they lost at Milwaukee and Saturday they beat Washington 113-108 so they play Orlando they're up one game on Orlando two tomorrow night I'll be at that game Bosch retirement ceremony it's going to be a very exciting to be at that game and but if Orlando wins then Orlando with eight games left has a tiebreaker on on the heat so it's not like the heat could be the heat actually could get like six spot over Brooklyn perhaps if they could even move up into that position um, if they get lucky to win but and the Hornets are, are lurking back there too so it's weird the Brooklyn the Pistons the Heat the Magic the Hornets they're all in that mix and there's only three weeks to go so uh, but they better win that game because they play Thursday they're Dallas Luka Donick if you want to go see Luka Donick play he'll be amazing one of the the rookie of the year will play on Thursday. Then they're at New York on Saturday. New York, of course, tries to lose their games. They should win that game. <laughs> but then next week they're at they play Boston twice at Minnesota at Toronto. 
Toronto, and they finish at Philly and at Brooklyn. So their end of the schedule is tough, and they they you know they, they anyway they could be sixth or out of the playoffs. This is Dwayne Wade's last year, uh, so it's going to be exciting to see what happens. Yeah, my Knicks just got to their sixtieth loss of the they season. They want to lose. Oh, they yeah. want Zion, and you look at Zion and Ja and Ja, ja Morant and 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 R.J. Barrett, and you look at some of these players, and you're like, these are players that would be. I mean, Ja Morant. Makers. Could yeah. you see him in New York? Oh my gosh, they would I mean, love it. Oh, I mean Zion in New York. I mean, I think New York is. If you're a New York Knicks fan, you do not want to win a game. Like, please lose. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what you want. And I think it's only a 13 percent chance, even for the worst. You know, it's the, 13. The, they're 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 guaranteed in the top five if they're as because they only they pick three, but they uh, but they have. I think it's like 16 percent. Three teams get 16 percent. So yeah, so we'll it's, it's we'll get we have plenty of time to talk. We'll t- definitely talk about the draft because this draft this year is going to be amazing. Where's David Stern circa 1985 to rig this for the, <laughs> for for the Knicks? Yes. Yeah, we we need uh, we need him to come out of retirement. Um, you know, we didn't talk about where you've been, but uh, you've been spending a lot of time at Fit Team Ballpark of the Palm Beaches. Three games. Yeah. I went. I went on Wednesday and saw Houston versus the Yankees. It they was brought br- a good lineup too. I was shocked. Who, Me the too. Yankees usually they bring nobody, but they brought uh, Glaber Torres. They brought Anjahar, Bird, the DH, uh, Gary Sanchez. Um, the Astros lineup was Springer, Altovi, Bregman, Brantley, Correa. That's their full full uh, roster. Uh, they had everybody. Yeah. Uh, they, it, it, I mean, it was it was a very it was neat to be there. Uh, the fit team was people were st- it was standing room everywhere. Out in the field, they have you can lay out on blankets. It was packed. Um, I mean, the Yankees certainly draw, and it was the only time they ever been here all year. Um, but it was it was a great game. I mean, it was it was fun to watch there. I mean, Houston won two one, but uh, Carlos Correa looks great for last year. Was a sort of a down year for the he Astros. Had a strange year, and he looks in perfect shape. He looks like a Rod almost out there. He's young a Rod's body. He looks like a young a Rod, not yeah. the old a Rod, the young a Rod in terms of being tall and, and lanky and, and strong. He's not a typical shortstop build. He's big. I was his thing. I think the Astros. I'm the the the. the Astros, Yankees, and Red Sox are so good, and I love the Astros and Red Sox. I mean, they are going to win like 110 games. They're 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 line. They have all stars at almost every position. And then I saw on Saturday and Sunday, I saw St. Louis and Washington. I wanted to see Strasburg pitch because I didn't see him pitch and, uh, this year, and uh, he didn't look good. He had five innings pitched, eight hits, four runs. He struck out nine, but wasn't that good. Now the Cards pitcher, starting pitcher Nicholas, was there, and he got hit too. Um, he was a fluke last year, right? But he, they're actually going to make him start the, the, the opening. Day. I mean, Rendon um, had a home run. He's like the new guy at Washington. I mean, he he's been the best player of Washington for four years, and now with Bryce Harper done gone. Uh, but uh, uh, it was I got to see Paul Goldschmidt play for St. Louis. I hadn't seen him, and we'll talk about the extensions that, that they got. And then on Sunday, I saw uh, Carrick Cole for Houston and Corbin for Washington. And it's weird at these end of the games. That game they had no starters at all. I just wanted, but they wanted the pitchers to pitch, so it was exciting to go see mm-hmm. Cole and Corbin. And against not really good line. Both pitched terrible. I mean, Corbin had six innings pitched, ten hits, uh, gave up. Cole was was hit hard all over the place um, and gave up three runs in five innings. Uh, but so I was impressed. Of all the pitchers I saw this summer, uh, this what summer this month would be Degrom and Wheeler for the Mets. They were yeah. dominating. Uh, they were better than these pitchers were. You know, um, side note: I think Alex Bregman is going to try to take over um, as the, the Ricky Fowler of baseball, just being loved by everyone. I mean, I've seen what he's done on social media with a lot of young kids and stuff. He's out there before the game, signing autographs, getting pictures with all the kids after the game. He seems like he's going to be a great ambassador for baseball. And didn't hurt that he killed the ball last year. It's Iron Spurs. And he also gets and he got an extension. I mean, that was- well deserved. Well, this is the the the, the summer of extensions. I've never seen so many extensions um, across baseball. We'll talk about that in just one second here on Iron Sports on the True Oldies channel. Um, all right, Ira. So, you know, Bryce Harper was signed, so it's not an extension, but Trout was the first big one, and this one was massive, and he's going to get a lot of money. Well, twelve years, four hundred thirty million. He was owed sixty-six million for the next two years, so he signed like a ten-year, three sixty. He's twenty-seven years, seven years in the league. Um, Everyone loves him. I mean, he's great. I mean, his 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 people are considering him the one of the. He's the best player, the best seven first seven years of a career ever, ever. And uh, and and people, you know, they're calling him to the modern day Willie Mays. Uh, he's people thought he might go to Philadelphia because he's a season ticket holder of the Eagles. Grew up in around Philly, but he just he he's someone who and people criticize him. I couldn't believe when he said, "I'm going to resign with uh, L.A. Angels, uh, Anaheim Angels," and they said, "Well, that's uh, um, you, you should have gone to a bigger market." 
but it's in Los Angeles. Yeah. They have a $3 billion television. Right? Their, their payroll is 166, which is the Yankees People payroll. People want him on the East Coast. And yeah, it is because you don't see him at night. He plays so many games at 10 o'clock. But I, he likes playing there and he's popular and everyone loves him. And and they said, well, he can't win there. Of course he can win there. They're, it's like the Cubs a few years ago were terrible too. I mean, the Yankees, I mean, you they have the money. They've tried to spend the money and do things. So eventually they're going to do those things, I think, to uh, to bring it in. I, I was shocked by how many people criticized his signing. Well, first of all, they're like, I, I just like, and why wait? And they're like, well, why don't you wait two years? Well, if someone's giving you a guarantee, $360 million, and you're happy with that, then I thought it was a perfect deal, and it's good for baseball. I, I don't think it's any any shock that you know Rob Manfred and the people in the front office of baseball don't like him being the best player in baseball. Because he's, he's just not... He's not a over the top. He's not Bryce Harper. He's not in your face, charismatic with the hair and and just being you know who he is. He wants to show up, play baseball as hard as he can, <laughs> and and that's Mike Trout's game. And I think they want someone a little flashier to be the face of baseball, and that's why Bryce Harper kind of is. And he's not even close to the player that that Mike Trout is. Um, more extensions flying around though, and I hate this one, but uh, Chris Sale got one in Boston. Well, Chris Sale was a uh, um, he's been in this. He was given a 15, 15 million. He was owed fifty million this year, but then signed an extension five years, one hundred and fifty million, so thirty million a year. I mean, everybody knows who watched the World Series last year knows he's the dominant pitcher for the Red Sox. They locked him up, maybe, but he's a little injury concern, so you're nervous about that. He's never won a Cy Young, but again. I, what you're starting to see in baseball is this. I mean, the one thing, I, we, we're going to talk about this a little later because we, we're running up on time. But remember in baseball, you have three years of your rookie contract and three years of arbitration. So in some cases, you want to take away their arbitration years. Mm-hmm. But in other cases, but it, it seems like now what the, all the other thing is on the back end, teams are saying, look, we're going to take you so you're 37 years old. We're not going to pay you when you're 40. Even Machado and Harper were 37. It used to be these pull-holes were signed to his 42. People, they're not expecting them playing being, like, mm-hmm. we're going to pay you till you're 37 and that's it. And that's, so that's what's so that's what this sale, sales contract takes him to. He's 37. Um, he's probably my favorite player in baseball because he's great with the glove, great with the fans, and great with the bat. And that's Nolan Arenado. And he's clearly the face of the Rockies. And this was a great extension, I think, for them. Eight years, 260. Uh, he gets an opt-out after three years. A lot of these don't even have uh, have opt-outs. But in the point is um, just, a, just a great deal. I mean, again, the face of a team was able to stay uh, it's good for baseball. It's good for baseball. I, I, I don't. The, the people that are they complaining want power teams are the yeah yeah. The people who are complaining are the Yankee and I mean it's like no. I mean cannot these teams that baseball is a local more than even any other sport. It's a local sport. Arenado is popular in Colorado. Trout's popular in Los Angeles. We want to see the players stay. I didn't want to see Barry Bonds leave Pittsburgh. No. I didn't like. He went to San Francisco and played. I'm mad about that. Like, I was mad when Pujols left right. St. Louis. He should have been a Cardinal. Right. Player. I mean, there's so I think it's great that they're able to work out these deals. And some of these teams, people say, well, they with me in extensions. It's like, well, yeah. Their teams are now saying, look, we're going to give you... And I think also players now are looking at this saying, I don't know if this... They saw what Harper Machado were doing, struggling to get. I don't know if free agency is that great. I don't know if these other teams... This money is on the table for me now. I don't know if tomorrow some pitch is going to get... I'm going to get hit. My career is going to be over. Mm -hmm. They're offering me $260 million. Am I going to say no? They obviously like the current situation. So yeah, why mess with things? Who wouldn't like living in Colorado? I mean, I I can't blame Arenado at all. He had a down year last year, 39 home runs. (laughs) You know, that was his down year. Uh, Hopefully, he keeps it up. Paul Goldschmidt today, first uh, first at bat, bombed one out of uh, out of the park. Uh, he got a nice extension. Five years, 130 million. He was traded. There, the Cardinals loved him. Traded from Arizona for him, and then give him the extension before the even year started. It's like saying, "Look, we know you're a free agent. That's why everyone's talking about the free agent next year. Free agency class is so great. They're all off the table. I mean, yeah, they're they really, you have Garrett Cole, and then you have Bogots and and uh, for and Martinez for the Red Sox. But Arenado was a free agent, going to be a free agent. Goldschmidt was going to be a free agent. Sale was going to be a free agent. Verlander signed two years, 66 million contract extension. He's 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 off the table. So all those deals were done to take a lot of the free agent class out. I mean, it was pretty amazing to see this money being thrown it's, away. It's the anti-football where the free agency period comes up and it's like a, a, a feeding frenzy and these guys getting monster contracts. Everyone's moving. Baseball's just locking everybody down. And like we agree, I think it's good for the sport as opposed to bad. Uh, we saw Alex Bregman got an extension before and this guy, I mean, b- between him and Blake Snell who got another extension, they're the two most unknown people in baseball that are super, super stars. Blake Snell won a Cy Young Award last year. He could walk through Publix. You would know who he was. Who he was, you know what I mean? But he got an extension too. And Blake Snell won the Cy Young, yeah, five years, fifty million. But this is the type of those two deals they took away those arbitration years. And like this year, Alex Bregman was making six hundred forty-five thousand dollars. They gave him a five-year, hundred million dollar extension. I take that too. I mean, that's <laughs> like it's like you're making six forty-five, and then someone's giving you a hundred million dollars, and now that that takes away 
some time. And now the agents before, the agents were saying, no, don't sign that, sign these other deals. And I think the players are like now, I think players are taking control of their lives. I think they're saying, look, I like playing in Houston. We're going to be in the, we're going to be competing for the World Series every single year. Yeah. I love this team. I like this town. You're giving me $100 million. I, I'm taking it. Yeah, why wouldn't, you're, you're absolutely right on the Houston front. This this team's going to be fighting for a World Series for the next decade. Why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? You go go to Minnesota and make an extra $5 million. It's just, just not worth it. Um, let's switch gears to the NFL. The party animal himself, Rob Gronkowski, hanging it up. First ballot Hall of Famer for you? Clearly first ballot Hall of Famer. Not only a great receiver, um, and also people said he didn't, he's been hurt. His numbers are up there. I mean, he has, yeah. he has tremendous numbers, and he's also viewed as one of the greatest blocking titans of all time. And the weird thing about it is if you look at the Steelers and the Cowboys, look at the 49ers, these great teams, they have so many Hall of Famers on them. Uh, the Steelers had like a dozen from the Steelers' steel curtain years from offense and defense. But on the Patriots, who do you have? I mean, Vinatieri, yeah. when he plays a kicker. I mean, the Patriots <laughs> have got rid of a lot of their defensive players. I mean, besides Besides Tom Brady, of course, and their coach, and they don't have a lot of these players. No, that's that a very good think. point. So I think you're, there's, he's easily a first ballot because people are going to say, wait, they won six Super Bowls, and how many of these players are Hall of Famers? Like They're going to start putting these guys on it, and Gronkowski is easily a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's played enough years, and uh, I, I just think it's, I, it's in terms of what the, what the uh, Patriots had planned with Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. They mm. were going to have these two athletic tight ends, and Aaron Hernandez, of course, was convicted of murder, went to jail, and then committed suicide in jail but um, though at one time those they thought for like they those two were going to be the dominant and Krakowski mm-hmm. did have that Hall of Fame career but everyone thought Aaron Hernandez was also going to have that Hall of Fame he career. was better honestly that, that you know the two years they played together Rob Gronkowski for his career 16 postseason games 81 catches 1100 yards 12 touchdowns he has as many touchdowns as Jerry Rice does in almost double the playoff games amazing that yeah that's Hall of Fame worthy um what do you have to say about Ryan Fitzpatrick our new uh, our new darling here in Miami I'm going to, next week, can we, we're going to talk about him next week. I think he's the most interesting character and he's a character and I want to spend, we're going to have a segment next week. Let's, let's go, let's go through and let's, because See I can get him on. He might I, be I, I swear. Well, I went to the University of Pennsylvania. He went to Harvard. It's Ivy league. Maybe I can talk to him about that, <laughs> but I, I want to talk about, because I don't think people in Miami and I've read the stories about him and I've read with people. He's not like anyone else that's played here before. And I think we need to spend, so let's, we can, football's good. We can talk about him next week. We can talk about the onside kick rule though. If you want to talk about it, because I hate this. <laughs> Tell us about it. Well, the rule, the AF is the other league that you sometimes see on TV. And you're like, what are these guys Johnny playing Manziel's football? League. The Johnny Manziel yeah. might play this this week. But they want to change the rule, which is that instead of having onside kicks, because it used to be that there was like a, a 7% chance to get it. Now it's down to like nothing. It's, it's It was 21% chance. Now it's down to 7%. So there's no chance at all to get really an onside kick because they, don't, they want to protect against injuries. So they made it very hard. You can't get those running kicks. You can't put everybody on one side. And so now nobody gets onside kicks. And they want to... They, so the rule will be fourth and 15 from your own 35-yard line one time at the end of the game. You can do that. Uh, and you have to be losing by a certain amount of points and all that. And if you, get it, it. If, you get the, if you get the first down, then you get to keep the ball. If you don't, the other team gets the ball at that, whatever, wherever the ball goes. So it's, 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 a, it's a gimmicky rule. Denver proposed it, and people thought it was going to be shot down. And it seems like there's other teams that like that Seven rule. of eight people passed it. John Mara of the Giants was the only one to shoot it down. Right. So we're going to – I mean, but it'll be interesting. I mean, when this first – happens in a game people are going to be so confused like follow football they like what is this what broke out here um, so. <laughs> um we're, we're way over it's 804 you're listening to the true oldies channel i'm mike balsamo here with ira let's make this quick uh, you got your uh, u.s open hat on but you were in the miami open today i think I saw Federer today. I ran down. I was lucky to get back on the show. You well, have great pictures. Well, I, I, it was fun to be there. Uh, I, I, I wanted. To, we can next week. We're going to talk more about it also because I'm going to talk about the venue. Uh, it's played at the Hard Rock Stadium in a football stadium. It's insane. I mean, it's really. First of all, the facility. It's weird. Three sides of the stadium are all temporary. It's like you're going to like a high school football game and they put the stands up on the field. And then the other half side is where those 50 yard line plush Miami Dolphin seats, which are the Chase lounges that. Everything said um, it's a weird it's so weird for the players it has to be because on one side it's like a normal stadium but on the other it goes all the way up like a football stadium so it's not even even um, it was easy to park which I like doing that but the how about they have no concession stands open I mean you go to the Dolphin games the lines were longer than a Dolphin games and there were like nobody was there at the match the ticket prices are through the roof really? they're so expensive um, and and and, and the attendance for a Federer match wasn't that great I thought it would be totally packed and on stuff I mean you have to they they the the, the price the ticket prices are crazy and the seats are impossible to get to this temporary thing they put in i know it's just temporary but it's very hard to get in to get to walk around um i 
it's interesting. It's great. I'm, it's better the tournaments here than Orlando and somewhere else. And it's great that it's there, but it is definitely a problem in terms of, I wish they would make it nicer. I wish there was a ways they could, they could do this. I didn't walk around the facilities. I just really went down to see Federer and came back. Um, Federer, uh, one, seven, five, six, three. It was a, it was a tight match against a Serbian. It was, it was, it was, a, it was closer than, uh, anticipated, but, I love watching Federer play. He's the smartest person out there. He's like, if you ever watch someone play Fortnite, and that's that game that all the <laughs> high school kids like, and they're better than everyone else because they have all the tools. They know how to use all the tools. He has all the shots. He knows whatever to do, and he just pulls them out. He'll put a drop shot here, the slice. He'll he'll overhit the ball. He can hit every any shot there is in the game. Anything he can do, he can do. And he just and he's smart enough now. He's at that level where he is. He has all the intelligence in the world and also the ability to pull all that off. And uh, so it's great to see him. He might retire at any moment. So I really wanted to go down and see him. I hopefully want to catch him one more time this week. But it was great going down there. It, a weird tournament real fast Americans are a disaster uh, this is yeah. the one tournament the Americans should do well it's on hard courts in America um, with Venus losing tonight there's in the quarterfinals Serena pulled out Sloan Stevens lost early Masson Keys lost there's no American women in the in the eight and then in the men's side uh, it's it's just it was it's just been a disaster too on that side Isner is still playing and TFO plays tonight who we had on but I was just shocked about the losses I mean if there's ever a tournament the Americans should do well it's this Djokovic's on one side of the draw Federer's on the other, so maybe this weekend we could have a Djokovic-Federer uh, final. But uh, there's been a tremendous amount of upsets. A lot of the big names are gone. Nadal didn't ever enter in this tournament. So, and on the women's side, it's it's uh, the, the number one seed, Osaka, lost early. I, I think one of the reasons the seeds have lost is that it is a weird venue. I don't think that the players are used to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even uh, Djokovic last night said, it's uh, he doesn't like the lighting. And he goes, if you don't fix the lighting, I'm just going to quit. <laughs> Whoever said <laughs> that, he announced that to the crowd. So I think they They're have- ironing at the kinks. They have a lot. I think there's more than kinks. I think it's sort of like they turn the faucet on. It's not even working, but <laughs> but they have to figure that out. So, But we'll talk about ne- that next week uh, for the because I'll be there twice this w- so far this week. Um, what's going on in golf real quick? Um, Paul Casey won the Valspar. We're yeah. having the World Golf Championships this week and then Masters in two weeks. Hopefully we'll have some people on the following week, next week, talking about getting ready for the Masters. So excited for that. And I re- I'm excited for the Kentucky Derby, but before that, we've got the Florida Derby, and it happens. I hear at Gulfstream. It's going to be this Saturday. I'll actually be at the Palm Beach Kennel Club uh, working for it, doing uh, doing some stuff uh, with with the True Oldies channel, giving away a cruise. But uh, t- you're excited for the Florida Derby? Well, I, I, I'm excited because I like horse racing season. We're going to have Mike Ivoroni on, the former owner of Big Brown. We'll have him back in a couple weeks to talk about. Uh, you know, he's the one who predicted Justify last year. Mm-hmm. He said, look, Justify is great. Justify is the greatest horse. And he sort of said, it's winning the Triple Crown. Um, so i like to see or hear what he has to say and, and get us ready for the uh, Derby season. Um, and uh, it'll be exciting to see. You know, The Florida Derby winner has done well at the Kentucky Derby. So we're gonna. it'll be interesting to see what happens. The last one to uh, win it was Orb. Actually, back, I would say that it was 2013, won the Florida Derby, then moved on. That should be a lot of fun. Ira, where are you headed this week? Just uh, hanging around for tennis? No, tennis, and then I'll see tennis for two days, and I'm going to see Duke in Washington. You have so, to, right? Yes, have to go for that. <laughs> so I'll be there at D.C. We are definitely out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports. <laughs>